Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangsta Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Kumail Nanjiani opened up about breaking stereotypes in Marvel's Eternals. Succession Season 3 will not address COVID-19. And Kenitra Brooks, associate professor at Michigan State University, discusses the current renaissance of black horror films. It's August 31st, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shyla Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Shyla, if there is one thing I want in this world, it is to have a gay bachelor. Yes. <laughs> like I want, I've been saying add the bisexuals on to these seasons for forever, but while we're at it, let's just make the whole season queer. And guess what? Lance Bass also wants that to happen. My and I favorite. think we can make it work. <laughs> he is my favorite in sinker. Okay, so he's actually currently one of the many people that are like co-hosting Bachelor in Paradise instead of Chris Harrison. And he's doing a great job. And he just talked about how he would love to have one of those and he would love to host it. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Which I also think is absolutely hilarious because I also love Love Island. And recently there was an article with the title, Love Island makers say LGBT contestants bring, quote, logistical difficulties. So you heard it here first. (laughs) I'm not queer. I'm logistically difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm just like, whatever. Let's just do it. Let's see what happens. Oh, my God. Just like put it on an epitaph. Just like, I love that. Um. (laughs) Okay, so to kick things off, Kumail Nanjiani recently spoke about how he was able to use his upcoming MCU debut, Eternals, to defy cultural stereotypes. He told the LA Times that after a decade in Hollywood, he was tired of, quote, the usual opportunities that brown dudes get. Unlike the, quote, nerdy weakling characters he's played in the past, he wanted his Eternals character to be cool and physically strong. It sounds like he got what he wanted, adding, quote, He has these superpowers and he's become a Bollywood movie star. All the Eternals have been in human society to different degrees, but he's the only one who really immersed himself and falls in love with the trappings of modernity. And he loves being rich. He loves being famous. He loves being an Eternal. 
<laughs> God, I'm so excited for this movie. Yes. But also, I love what he said. When I first saw that he liked this character he was playing, I was like, yeah, it's different for him. You know, it's something, you know, like his just like comedies, indies he's been put in, these roles he's been relegated to. And so I'm really glad that he gets to be a fucking superhero. Yes. I mean, just like more people of color in superhero movies, period. Mm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So in other news, if you were wondering how the upcoming season of Succession plans to tackle COVID-19, the short answer is it won't. This is partially because showrunner Jesse Armstrong wrote the season before lockdown started and the decision makes total sense plot wise. According to Sarah Snook, who plays Shiv, quote, these are really wealthy people. And unfortunately, none of the world's really wealthy people were going to be affected by the pandemic. Woo, that's dark and true. It's that's the thing. It's very true. But I mean, like, okay, so I haven't seen Succession. I know, I know, I'm very behind. Um, but you have to show the world around you, even if it's, I don't know. I feel like not tackling it at all, um, isn't the right choice. I would rather see, or like, you know, because I don't watch. I feel like maybe it makes more sense to show how they're above it all as opposed to just ignoring it completely. Uh... I'm going to go against you on this one, really? which is unusual for us, Shiloh. I know, but I, I haven't seen it. So, you know, I, I, I fall to you. Uh, you know, I think that's just my stance, though. I think it's it's TV. It's fiction. We can write whatever world we want to live in, you know. So I think it's just like the fact it's like, yeah, this is our very real world and TV and movies can and should be an escape for some of us. And so I like totally think it's fine that some people are writing COVID-19 in and some aren't. Um, but I do I do like that what Sarah Snook said, because that's so true. These people, these rich ass people would not be wearing masks or like doing anything. They don't care about like the eviction moratorium or lack thereof. Like they don't care at all. <laughs> Man, just like you said, different than real life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on. When Jordan Peele's Get Out came out in 2017, it seemed as though Hollywood was finally recognizing that black characters can be more than victims in the horror genre, opening the door for black directors, producers, screenwriters and actors to portray fully developed leading characters. Now, on the heels of director Nia DaCosta's history-making opening weekend, Candyman has audiences asking themselves what exactly black horror is, what it isn't, and most importantly, what it can do. That's what Kenitra Brooks, associate professor at Michigan State University, sets out to answer. Her recent piece, For the Root, dissects the history of Black horror as well as what's next for the genre. And she joins us now to talk about more. Hi, Kenitra. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Shyla. Thank you for having me. So first, to kick things off, as a self-proclaimed horror scholar, what did you actually think of the Candyman reboot? I really enjoyed it. It was not um, horribly scarring the way the first one was for me. I think also because I'm not like uh, a young child, but (laughs) that helps for sure. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was smart. I thought the visual language of it was snappy. I loved getting to know Nia DaCosta as a director and I enjoy how how they handled Black trauma in dealing with the Black horror idea. Um, They were very smart and intentional about it through their use of shadow puppetry and mirrors and reflections as a way to sort of take the piss or to take the punch out of some of the more violent or gory or traumatic parts of the film. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, you know, a lot of people will argue that with Get Out and Us, Jordan Peele really opened the door for Black artists to tell stories to a mainstream audience within the horror genre. Do you see these films and now Candyman as something of like a renaissance? I will say it's been a slow burn and it's starting to get noticed for the energy that's always been behind it. One thing that I say about Peel is that he realizes that he's inheriting a legacy. In the 19th century, uh, we have oral tales Speaking of Black horror tales uh, in which Black folks enjoyed being scared and creating stories that would scare them. We have in the 20th century, we have the stories of Tanana Redu. We have Zora Neale Hurston telling stories. And so Jordan Peele recognizes that there is an inheritance of Black horror that he is a part of. And what he's so good at is not only sustaining it, but expanding it and bringing other folks into it. So he brings in Ania DiCasa, right? He could keep all of it to himself, but he actively chooses not to and to bring other people into and pass the legacy of Black horror down to the next generation. So, you know, when the original Candyman came out in 1992, it was an entirely different world we were living in. And this reboot is told from a Black person's point of view. So how does that in and of itself tell a completely different side to the story? And and how does it differ from the way Black characters in horror movies have been portrayed in the past? It focuses on, in, in the 1992, in the original version, so much of it was about the monstrosity of Black men and how they are something to be feared, how they are a threat to white womanhood, and how folks should run from them. Whereas here, uh, in telling things from a Black point of view, we get where the monstrosity is what actually happens to the Black men through white mob violence. So we get different men who become a version of Candyman because they died through white mob violence. So now we get this more complex story being told about Black monstrosity, but why? In what terms? Because of whom? What starts this idea of what the monster is? And Robin Wood, who's a horror scholar, he says that horror can be defined as when normality is threatened by the monster and the monster is always the other, right? And so we get this idea that is it that Black men are monstrous or are they simply the other outside of the normal and therefore a threat? Very interesting stuff. All right. Well, we'll be right back. We've got more with Kenesha D. Brooks after the break. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. 
I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, Head over to NFLShop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, t-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLShop.com. Welcome back. We're talking with writer and professor Kenitra D. Brooks about the Candyman reboot. Before we move on, just a warning to listeners who haven't seen the film yet, there are spoilers ahead. So, Kenitra, despite the renaissance we're seeing, some Black creators are being accused of leaning too far into trauma. There has been a lot of talk around the idea that Black horror is Black, quote, trauma porn. So, first, can you explain a couple of examples of what that is, what Black trauma porn is? So, Black trauma porn, from my understanding, is this idea that Black horror only traffics in Black death. Then, in terms of Black death, there's no joy, there's no redemption. And so, you know, a lot of folks are like, I don't want to see stories about enslavement. I don't want to see stories about Black people dying. I only want to see stories of Black joy. And we can certainly understand that, but I think that some of the insistence that Black horror is Black trauma porn is a fundamental misunderstanding of genre, of the genre itself. Because horror does traffic in trauma. I define it as a controlled exposure to trauma that you can participate in from the safety of your couch. And so many folks talk about the traumas of horror, but not the triumphs. And the thing with horror is there's a cathartic ending, right? So there are tragedies that happen, but there are moments, particularly at the end when the monster is defeated or the monster gets their comeuppance, there's this idea of triumph. There's this agency that is seen there. And we see that in Candyman with the Brianna character and her calling forth the Candyman at the end in order to protect her from the white police officers that are making her either be an accomplice or a victim. And what she does is she chooses a third way. And she says, my way is filled with agency and my way will entail of a black man um, coming back to life and floating on a pile of bees and killing everyone in sight that isn't me, killing all the threats to me. So there is tragedy, right? Um, Anthony does die due to white mob violence. But he also comes back and protects the woman he loves, right? And if we're going to talk about the tragedies, we must also talk about the triumph. That horror has a sort of model. There is the trauma, but there's joy and agency at the end. Now, is it always the happiest in the world? No, but it's complex. And folks are, ta- are, are, are taking away from the complexity of the genre of horror. I think that is so interesting. Um, As Casey will tell you, I'm very much a baby. I don't watch a lot of horror because I just cannot sit through it. But something that I've noticed is obviously like 
you know, the black character is always like one of the first ones to die. Um, and so having these movies where they are primarily a black cast for the black audience, like it does give you more opportunity to see sort of the black characters get a happy ending or like happy in quotes. So I guess I'm wondering, like, maybe there's not a universal answer for this, but with the triumph you're talking about, is it just like these black characters getting agency? Like I do think about us, which I somehow was able to get through. And at the end, you know, like we find out that Lupita Nyong'o's character is really one of the tethered, but like she created this whole life for herself. She had family. So you could actually see that as a triumph is, are there other examples of ways, you know, future writers and directors can create this? Or is it sort of just having triumph and, seeing what that might look like. Here's the thing. Even in the, the triumph at the end of Candyman, if you notice when Candyman comes and he looks at her in the window, the back window of the car, she looks away because she realizes the force of it, right? She realizes that she has called forth a powerful being. So it's not always clean. It's complicated and complex. And I think what the pushback is, is that it's viewing it simplistically. And we can't allow that to happen. Even in us, where we get where the Lupita character, where we see that she is actually one of the tethered, we get this sort of tension. It's all about the tension, right? She has triumphed in her own way, but in that triumph, she has taken away the life of her tethered, right? So things aren't clean because life isn't clean. But through the supernatural, through these stories of excess, we get, it's about the catharsis. It's about getting that sort of um, purgation of feeling. Like, yeah, these all these people died, but you know what? You know, at the end, we got to kick ass and we got to have these sort of moments of agency, but also these moments of, of power, right? And are they completely triumphant? No, but, but they're complex. I think they're more interesting. It's not an action film. Not everyone's going to die at the end and he walks away with the bomb off in the background, but it's messier. No, and I think that's just, you're just saying you got to leave room for these complexities. You got to leave room for it. And I think that Da Costa does that here in making folks think about horror in ways that are uncomfortable. Because again, horror is called horror because it's there to make you uncomfortable. Right. You're supposed to be re feel revulsion and be repulsed by some of the things that go on. And that uncomfortableness is is, is a good thing. And I want to talk about when you just brought up Nia DaCosta, because, you know, a lot of people are referring to this film as Jordan Peele's Candyman. You know, he he, he co-wrote it, too. But, you know, she was the director. And I liked what you said before, like the, the use of mirrors and what she was able to do with it. So I want to know. In all that uncomfort, how did she manage to respect the power of Black trauma without trying to re-traumatize? Like, how did she pull off such a delicate balance? She was, you could tell that she was heavily influenced by Black women artists. So Kara Walker, who's an artist, she did the big, large sugar woman, but she also, her earlier work includes these shadow puppets that allows for and discusses enslavement of Africans, but in a way that is not safe, but in a way that it has allows for a certain removal because they are these dark outlines of figures and not the hyper reality of seeing an actual person undergo this. And so 
that's what uh, DaCosta borrows that sort of visual language of saying, okay, even in the original Candyman and telling Daniel Rabatol's story, right? She does it in the first film, they go in and they show the white mob, like taking him and dripping him in honey and all of these things. She uses shadow puppets where you get the idea of what happened, but you don't have the gore. You don't have the visceral nature. And in this way, she's able to respect the trauma here. She's also influenced by, you can see the visual language of Carrie Mae Weems, another Black woman artist who works a lot with mirrors and reflection. And in the film, what you see, you don't see Candyman always appearing before you not until the very end, you see the reflection of Candyman. You see him in a mirror. Is Gore happening? Is he murdering the victims? Yes, definitely. But there's still this safety in the removal of not having it happen right in front of your face. Well, I mean, I have to rewatch Candyman. I have to go back and see. I wasn't able to really finish the whole movie because like I said, I'm a scaredy cat. Um, But now... I am even more motivated. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Kanitra. This was so interesting. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say that I am the world's scariest horror scholar and that <laughs> yeah. I can only watch the films with my ears plugged up because I hate the jump and my friends are always <laughs> laughing at me. So you are not alone in being scared of watching I scary movies. That. I definitely watch them on mute with subtitles. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So thank you. (laughs) All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, you can put Logistically Difficult on your epitaph. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. 
Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much, is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do, and I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just, like, wonderful. I, like, have, like, warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.